Amen. When I was a boy, we had a Christmas tree. We bought it in early December, and these were real trees. You could smell them. We would put it up, put it in its stand, always a complicated task, get it straight, and there it would remain without decorations until Christmas Eve. We didn't say Merry Christmas. It wasn't out of political correctness. You see, Merry Christmas was reserved for the season of Christmas, for the 12 days of Christmas. Now, all of this wasn't the norm in the deep south where I grew up in Perry, Florida, seven decades ago. Boy, that hurts to say that. But inside, I secretly wished I yearned I wouldn't tell my father about it, but I wished and, and I so much wanted to celebrate Christmas like everyone else. To say Merry Christmas, to sing carols, real Christmas carols, not Advent carols. Sorry, Bob. <laughs> I wanted to join in the merriment of the weeks leading up to Christmas going to parties, singing, eating. Secretly, I longed to be a Methodist or a Presbyterian or, or even a Baptist so I too could celebrate Christmas early. Obviously, I never mentioned it to my father, and here I am, still an Episcopalian, still celebrating Advent, and it is the 10th of December, the second Sunday, of that season. Now, the interesting thing is two things can happen at the same time. We're in Advent, and the world is in Christmas. The shopping begins now approximately Halloween. Black Friday is becoming more and more a bust, but guess what? Cyber Monday has taken its place. It seems people are more and more going straight to Christmas. The world around us is singing Christmas carols, and here we are in Advent in the middle of the Judean desert with a wild Nazarite by the name of John. Now that term Nazarite, it means consecrated to God as a child. And as I was preparing a couple of months ago when, when uh, Father Joe had worked out the rota for preaching, I said, I'm going to prepare. I'm going to be in character. I'm going to let my hair grow woolly, and, and obviously my genetics have failed me. <laughs> but here was John, consecrated as a child consecrated to be raised free of defilement, free of any kind of defilement, no alcohol, no cutting of his hair, no social relationships. Just like Samson, another Nazarite that we hear about in the, the book of Judges, 
who was consecrated by his father, Manoah, as a child. John was set aside by his parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah. You might remember the story. They were in their advanced years and wanted a child, and, and God gave them John, and, and they dedicated him to God. But all the same, as he grew up, he became wild and bully, woolly. We get this description of him dressed in camel's hair with a, with a leather belt, with this big beard, and it said he ate locusts and honey, and I can just see the honey dripping from his beard. Again, genetics have failed me there. But John is here on the banks of the Jordan, and he calls to the people of Jerusalem and Judea, but he also calls to us down through time, to turn to God, to change. And at the same time, the world celebrates Christmas. John calls for us to unclutter our lives and prepare. Prepare the way of the Lord. And everyone around us is celebrating Christmas. And we are to examine on John's call. Examine ourselves and look inward. And our community continues to revel. And guess what? Christmas. We are challenged. You see, it's not easy. It's difficult. These are trying times for Christians to preserve the meaning of that for which we prepare. So what about this John? He's down by the river, down by the river Jordan, at a place called Bethany, beyond Jordan. On the east side of the river, on the side furthest away from Jerusalem. This is the very same place that Joshua brought the children of Israel to cross over the Jordan into the promised land. The land that God had promised them. You see, Joshua had just become the new leader of the children of Israel. Moses would not be allowed to enter the promised land. He would climb up nearby Mount Nebo to watch his flock cross over through the river. Through the river. Also, he could see the promised land in the distance. A land that he could never enter. Now these Israelites who were now following Joshua, they had wandered for 40 years in the desert. Why did God make them wander around in the desert? So that they could be humble. So that they could be prepared to turn to him when they were brought to the promised land. And finally, they were ready to cross. And in crossing the river, they immerse themselves in the water before beginning a new life in God's promised land. And my brothers and sisters, this is the very same place that John has chosen. And I would suggest to you that it is not accidental. That John has chosen to use that symbolism of new life that the Israelites received upon entering their promised land 
with what he is calling people to do to turn to Jesus, to turn to God. Of the river, of the immersion, of repentance, of humility. Now John, besides being a character, he was somewhat of a, of a religious phenomena. People were drawn to him. He had a magnetic personality. He had his own disciples, many of whom would later follow Jesus when John was incarcerated. He was known throughout the Jewish world. And the question that was at hand was about John. Is he the one who's promised? Is he the one who is being sent by God? Is John to be our redeemer? So when John calls the people to repent, he is asking the people to repeat the crossing of the River Jordan symbolically into a new life, into a new life of humility and forgiveness. To come to be baptized, to receive a new symbolic life. And to that repentive life, they come. They come in droves. And John points not to himself in answer to the question, but to the one who comes after him, to the one who is more powerful. John calls the people to meekness of heart. He calls them to examine themselves, confessing their sins in all humility, unloading their burdens of guilt which they carry, recognizing their own inadequacies, But John indicates that he is not even worthy as a servant. Not worthy to even untie the sandal of the one to whom he points, and that is Jesus. My brothers and sisters, the world rushes headlong to Christmas while we repent while we humble ourselves in Advent. God called the Israelites to humility in the desert. John called the people of Judea and Jerusalem to humility on the bank of the Jordan, and Advent calls us. Calls us to prepare our hearts and our minds and to receive our salvation. Resist, resist the temptation to rush to Christmas. Cherish this time of preparation and repentance. You see, without Advent, when we arrive at Christmas, when we arrive at Christmas without preparation, we just might not find Christ there. Instead, we might find only the secular and a few leftover sugar cookies. Without the desert, the Israelites couldn't cross the river. Without the baptism of John, the crowds from Jerusalem were not prepared for Jesus, and without Advent, we're not prepared for Jesus either. 
My brothers and sisters, the beginning of the good news is being prepared. The beginning of the good news is humbling ourselves. And it is not possible to get to Christmas without the preparations of Advent. Advent is only possible, you see, to the troubled soul. To the soul that recognizes its own imperfections and acknowledges its own flaws. Yet looks forward to something greater, much greater to come. Prepare the way of the Lord. We hear the prophetic voice. Make straight the highway for God. Then the glory of God shall be revealed. This is why we prepare. So that the glory of God can be revealed. Not just as the babe in the manger. But in his coming in majesty and great glory. His coming again. My brothers and sisters, Jesus, who is the good news, has become the good news for us. Prepare the way of the Lord. Amen.